Welcome into Hardcore Penn State Football, episode 26. Penn State is red hot on the recruiting trail, going three for three this past week on three big time targets. We'll be talking about that extensively. Minnesota preview, as well as some other Penn State news that we'd like to get to. Full show, as always. Thank you guys for being here. Thank you guys for tuning in and sharing the show. If you haven't already, please subscribe. Let's get right into it, everybody. Welcome in a hardcore Penn State football. I'm Corey Listoki. With me as always, Sean Kane. How are you doing today, Sean? Doing great, Corey. Easy like Sunday morning. How about you? I'm doing very well. Doing very well. Had a uh, chicken parm leftovers for breakfast, so I'm off to a great start. I'm, I'm living life, I guess, pretty well right now. Yeah, that's a bold move. Bold move on a Sunday morning. Yeah, we uh be heading well i don't want to be talking too much about what my vacation plans are but we will be off and about in the next couple coming weeks or so so trying to get rid of some of the leftovers in the house so if there's chicken parm that needs to be eaten i can handle that for you i'm i'm the guy you're looking for keep that yeah. in mind oh yeah just in case there's ever any leftover chicken parm nearby that you need me to eat i'm i'm, I'm the guy for the job um, Sean, how was your weekend? Anything crazy going on? Anything fun? Uh, just finished the first season of Stranger Things yesterday, but that's that's really about it. It's been a very boring weekend. That's good. You know, sometimes we need boring weekends, um, especially 100%. since what we're I think what six Saturdays now away from you know not just Penn State football but college football in general, and then there won't be any more boring weekends. Um, so enjoy the boring weekends while you have them. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, because everybody knows in the fall, boring weekends cease to exist, especially when you're a Penn State football fan and a Miami Dolphins fan. Yeah, well, well, there, there'll, there'll be plenty of time to make fun of your Miami Dolphins in the months to come. So we'll give them uh, a fighting chance for yeah. now. Yeah. The uh, well, I think we're, we're 47 days away. Penn State plays on a Thursday against Purdue. So we're, I think we're 47 days away from Penn State football, which is kind of nuts that we're already, I feel like just the other day we were at like 80 something days. So I think it's, it's coming fast. Yeah. And it tends to do that, especially in the summer months. And it, uh, you know, my mom always told me, uh, after the 4th of July, summer's pretty much almost pretty much over. And as I get older, I think I realize that more and more. And now I kind of, to like it because that means football season's coming back and i'm gonna right. be working regardless 
Right, exactly. Yeah, that, that's one way to look at it. I would argue as an August birthday that summer is not over until my birthday and then I don't care. But people try to write us off like, oh, early August birthdays. <laughs> people didn't really like them back you know, in, in school and stuff. But at least let me get to my birthday. Then I don't care what you do. But it's still summertime for my birthday. And then that's after fun. that, uh, do whatever you want. But, Sean, we have a big show today. Um, I want to say it was two weeks ago now. We were like, well, things aren't looking great. Three weeks ago, we were like, oh, things are looking really good. And now, Sean, in the recruiting world, things are looking extremely well. So we'll be talking a little bit later in the show about Penn State's red-hot recruiting, picking up three commits, um, which I'm sure most of our listeners are probably here to, you know, for us to talk about. And we will be talking about that extensively, what to expect for the rest of July. Um, and I will be bragging about how my over-under five-and-a-half commits from the last week of June to July is doing because – um, spoiler alert, I'm doing really well on that bet. Yeah, yeah, I think you're the favorite right now to win. So, uh, we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit later on in the show. We do have some fan questions that we're going to get to in just a minute. Um, but first, a little bit of Penn State football news, if you will, um, which I think this will eventually turn into more of like, you know, what the Nittany Lions are doing in the NFL kind of segment. But as we get more and more Penn State news, um, I think we'll be talking about this at some point during every episode. Um, so guys, just keep that in mind. It will probably be like, oh, you know, Alan Robinson had a touchdown catch. Or Mike Gusecki, you know, let, you know, let Sean down one more time as a Dolphins fan or whatever the case may be. But um, so we'll be trying to keep up with um, how the NFL players are doing. Um, just for people to understand or to know what the plan is for the fall, we are going to try to record an episode on Sunday and Thursday of every week. So the Sunday show will be more of a recap show from the previous game. And then uh, the Thursday show, obviously more of a preview show, might try to get you know somebody that has expertise about that specific team on for maybe half of that show on Thursday um, to talk with us and, and give us a little bit of their perspective. But that's kind of the plan moving into the season. Um, and then obviously once we get to the offseason, we'll be going back to once a week. But that is kind of the game plan because obviously there's going to be a lot to talk about um, week to week once the season starts. Um, I So I don't think we'll probably be able to talk about the Sunday performers from the Lions in the NFL on that Sunday show because we'll probably record around this time on Sunday. But we'll definitely pick that up on the Thursday show. And obviously there's games on Monday night anyway, so might as well wait till then anyway. Um that being said, Sean, Arnold Ebikady, uh drafted by the Atlanta Falcons, he signed a deal, which I'm glad I brought this up because you didn't even know until I mentioned it right before we started recording. So if you didn't know, Sean, that means other people didn't know. So he's he signed his deal nine, over nine-something million dollars, um, I guess, per year. So AK getting some big money down there in Atlanta. Yeah, it looks like he got a uh, $3.6 million signing bonus as well. So that's immediate money that he'll have. Uh, and I think we were both, we, AK was the guy we were both high on. And I think he's going to be a um, solid contributor to the Falcons this year. I'd like to see him get a little bit bigger. Um, so it wouldn't shock me if he, I, I don't want to say got off to a slow start, but really didn't start coming in really I don't think he'll start coming into his own until probably next year or the year after. But when you could rush the passer like he could do, like like 
and a KD's capable of doing, wouldn't shock me at all still if he could get three or four sacks this year. Yeah, and I think as far as can't miss guys, I, I would be very shocked if he didn't have a very good career. And I should say Dr. Arnold Abicady got his uh, finish his PhD or whatever the case may be um, when he was at Penn State. So he's a Dr. Arnold Abicady. Um I also, when I was you know looking at Penn State stats the other day, he had nine and a half sacks last year. I think the next, I couldn't even tell you who the next closest person was, but I think they only had three or four. Um, so I didn't realize there was that much of a drop off there. So if you consider the pass rushers coming back, obviously there's talent, the Penn State defensive line position, but not like any proven guys that have a bunch of, um, I guess a good a good resume to show for it. I mean, you you got some really awesome guys coming in. Deny does Sutton, uh, Chop Robinson, obviously Adisa Isaac coming back, uh, Tarburton more of a run stuffer kind of guy, um, PJ Mustafer in the middle more of a kind of a run stuffer himself. Not like a bunch of you're like oh wow like the there's proven you know sacks on this defensive line already. They're a little bit of more of a potential kind of thing for the defensive line. Yeah, absolutely. And remember, uh, Smith Vilbert had three sacks in the um, Capital uh, Citrus Bowl, right? It's, no, Outback Bowl. That's the bowl we played in. Um, so that probably is where he probably moves into second place in sacks on the team. Um, but yeah, it's it's a lot of unproven guys. Um, and AK was huge for us last year. If we didn't have AK, we probably don't beat Wisconsin. Um, I don't think that's crazy to say. So it's, but I do hope in the aggregate, we're able to make up for his, uh, for the production we're losing from him from last year. Right, right, right. And I just, since I brought it up, I would double checked. You are right. Smith Vilbert had those three sacks. And Curtis Jacobs had three sacks. Um, and then Tangelo had two. Izzard. So Izzard will be, I guess if you don't include Jacobs, Izzard and Vilbert are the next kind of two guys up. Which I didn't realize. They, I felt like they got more pressure on the quarterback last year. Um, and, and I don't want to talk too much about this because we do have a lot to talk about. But I really thought they got more pressure on the quarterback than they did. Which just kind of shows you how good the defensive backs were last year for Penn State. If they can get more pressure... I mean, those guys are even just going to be better. So um, something to keep an eye on. Um, I want to talk about this, Sean. And we kind of texted about it yesterday and how we kind of want to go about it. Uh, there's an article by Penn Live out. There's an article by The Athletic out on um, this latest extortion case that happened. I don't want to say that happened in the Penn State football locker room, but there were parts of it that happened in the Penn State football locker room. And I want to explain it as clearly as I think I can, um, and, and appropriately. So basically, and Sean, jump in if I say something incorrectly, but basically there was a, now it's a federal investigation, which I'll go into why I think it's a federal investigation in a second. But, but basically there was a multiple players on the Penn State football team that sent pictures inappropriate pictures of themselves to this person uh which all the documents say his or her name was lee i don't even know if they 100 know it's 100 a woman it could have been a whole you know catfish thing um 
but they just said a person's name that they went by was Lee, L-I. And these these uh, student athletes were sending you know pictures of themselves to this person. And then that person extorted them, basically said, hey, if you don't continue to do certain things, I'm going to share these pictures with James Franklin. I'm going to put post these pictures on social media, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and it wasn't just one person. And it got to the point, and I don't know exactly how it got to this point, but it got to the point where there were multiple people performing some sort of quote-unquote sexual acts and I guess taking pictures and videos of those acts in the Penn State football locker room and sending it to this person in order to kind of uh, protect themselves in a sense. Now, at some point, they did go, I think it was victim two, went to the athletic, somebody in the athletic department in order to start getting those things down. And again, this happened all last year, um, to start getting those things removed. So since then, they, they had reached out to people and the university was trying to keep these documents sealed because they were trying to save embarrassment and um, and I guess scrutiny to a certain extent for these for these victims that were basically um, ex- not just extorted, but obviously um, tricked uh, and deceited. So that's the gist of it. Sean, did I, before we get into like what our thoughts are on this and where it goes from here, did I miss anything that I th- that needs to be a part of the conversation. I don't think so. Um, so, like you said, there were, um, I believe it said 19 videos in all taken inside the Penn State football locker room. Are we are we positive that the uh, the group sex act? Are we positive that took place in the Penn State locker room? I'm I'm not a hundred percent sure. I'm not either, but supposedly yes, there was some sex act, and um, like you said, a lot of inappropriate pictures being shared uh, with this person. Um, that and like you said, not sure if it's catfish. Not really sure what the intent was, um, and I really I, I'm unsure why this was unsealed. Uh, that's a little weird to me, but um, it's something that is getting a lot of attention. Not, not. I don't think it's as huge of a story as I might have thought it would be, but it's getting a lot of attention. Um, and it just underscores that you have to be very careful with who you talk to online, especially if you're a high-profile person because they could really, really mess up your life. And you have to keep in mind, these kids are 18 to 22 years old, and it's very, it, it could be very easy to trick them. Um, if you remember, Manti Teo was a Heisman finalist, and he got catfished for years. And I, I think that, it's hard to compare which one's worse, which one's better. Um, but it's a similar concept. It's talking to strangers online. And then, and in this case, they're able to hold something over them and threaten to report, uh, to show these pictures to James Franklin and put them on the internet. And it could really, it could screw your life up. 
And I think, you know, the, these kids need to be told, I'm sure they are told, don't talk to strangers online, especially if you are a high profile person. Right. Um, I did want to clarify, and this is according to the Penn Live report, this is what they say. Um, quote, that is when victim two told police he shared the videos of a group sex act and other videos recorded recorded from within Penn State's locker room um, that showed the athletes in various uh, stages of undress, end quote. So from that sentence, it looks like that sex act also took place in the football locker room. Right now. Okay. Um, here's my thought on the whole thing. Everything you said is 100 percent true. I think the Manti Teo thing is a perfect example. Um, and this, and this is honestly, I'm surprised I didn't get more traction already. Um, cause I just feel like people see sex act and Penn state football locker room. And I feel like that's enough for the national media to blow this out of proportion. The, the fact is that, you know, these players are victims in this whole thing. And at the very least, they're just embarrassed, but honestly, it's probably a lot more than that. Correct. Um, my thought is cause they said that they think. Or, or they know for a fact that this person said, quote, I like doing this to athletes, end quote. So they maybe not on a level of like, you could honestly, I don't know if that's a ter technical term or not, but like a serial extortionist. I mean, that's kind of what it seems like. Like they have a certain type of people that they like to go after um, and they chose Penn State football players. My thought, and this is could I'm not a criminology, you know, degree dude or anything. I don't know anything. But the reason maybe it's a federal investigation now is I'm guessing this has happened maybe at different places, not just in the state of Pennsylvania. And that is one of the reasons why, OK, we need to start connecting these dots. There must have been something in the forensic evidence that made them say, OK, we've seen certain signatures like this at this place. And now even if that place was just in New Jersey, all of a sudden now that could potentially become a federal investigation. Uh, instead of, you know, a state one. So that was my thought on why that maybe got bumped up. And I think once it got bumped up, I think there was some, I want to say the district attorney from somewhere was the, was the person who wanted to unseal these. Um, but again, I want to say that I really don't understand why. I, it seems it seems like something that didn't really need to come out because there wasn't any sort of, um, it was reported in, in September I don't think very you know long after, and it was actually the athletic department and the university and the university police at first that were the ones trying to figure this out when we're investigating it. So it wasn't like there was any sort of cover up, at least as far as we know right now. My question, Sean, and the only part I think needs to be explained a little bit more, and who knows, maybe this already happened, but these players, why didn't they, If and again, we don't know if they did, but why wasn't this something that was brought up to team captains? Why wasn't this brought up to assistant coaches earlier? Um, that's the only part where I'm like, what else is going on? Because I understand the Penn State football locker room and, and you could probably go there at certain points and do those things without people knowing, but I just feel like there's probably more people involved in that thing. And you would hope, especially with how much senior leadership we have, that something like that would be, th there are people out there. Um, with enough life experience now within the program that don't, you know, it doesn't have to be the head coach that you, they should have been able to go to and, and feel better about their situation and not felt scared or frightened. And, and now when you're in that situation, it's a little bit harder to have that logical thinking. 
Um, but it just seems like you you almost just wish, Sean, that there was better better leadership or, or to the point where people felt like they could have gone to somebody if they didn't. And again, we don't know if they did or didn't. But you just think, well, well this got to the point. If, if one victim was just doing it individually and they were feeling extorted, but then once it got to a group level, there was no, was there not any reaching out somebody to, for help? Uh, that's the part, Sean, that maybe you can say it better, but that's the part that I would like to be investigated more just because I think Penn State prides itself on leadership and having a good leadership council. Um, you hope for the players sake, moving forward, stuff like that, you know, is talked about and explained it. And it's a learning process for a lot of these young guys. Well, I think I could understand why they would be slow to talk about it. Um, you have to think about what the victims were coerced to do. Um, they were taking pictures of their teammates undressing and committing a sexual act of some sort. Um, you could be hesitant to talk about that. Um, if you have a picture of a guy who's getting undressed, you could be hesitant to be like, hey, um, so I took this picture of you getting undressed and gave it to this person we don't know who's extorting me. You could be hesitant to do that. Um, yes, I do agree that it would have been better if he reported this to the coach and maybe he did. There's a lot of unanswered, unanswered questions right now. Again, this is an open investigation. So the investigators right now don't know all the facts. So obviously we don't know all the facts. Um, and you would want an environment where the leadership of the team and the coaches are able to sort of look past what the victims were, um, what the victims did, and be comfortable enough to report that to them and say, look, this person tricked me. They said they were going to do all these horrible things to me if I didn't do this. So, yeah, you would want that environment, but I could also understand why they would be slow to tell a tell a leader of the team or leader of the football organization what happened because it's possible that one of the and you it's how do i put it you don't want to admit what your i don't want to say culpability is but you don't want to admit what you did as it could be seen as a breach of trust within the locker room yeah, and that's that's a good part of that, too. And, yeah, I mean, I, I never really thought about as far as what then everyone thinks of you. And and, and there is a certain level of trust in that in that locker room. Um, but that's also why, you know, you would hope that in the future things like that are um, at least brought up. And because the thing is, there's people in the locker room, assistant coaches that I believe, you know, would help these young guys out. And so – um, I think that's all, you know, we don't know very much more than that right now. And it, I don't think we should probably speculate much more than that. Um, there's rumors out there on who those victims are. We're not going to address those um, because, again, it doesn't really matter who it was. It's more of, you know, a, a situation where, okay, well, at least they're now in a better situation than they were a year ago. 
And obviously, you know, everybody on that program has learned from that. So we'll keep an eye on it. If there's more things specifically that needed to come out, maybe there was some sort of uh, something being covered up. But right now it seems, at least from what we know, that, you know, it was reported to Penn State. The university investigated it. And then now that it's a federal investigation, again, I, I think it's maybe there's a bigger, bigger thing here than just maybe Penn State. Maybe this person was doing it to other athletes at different schools. So um, let's move on. We got some fan questions. So, again, guys, thank you so much for the fan questions. The support has been crazy lately. Um, you guys have been awesome. You guys have been listening. You've been sharing with your friends. Um, you guys have been subscribing. If you're not already, Spotify, Apple, please subscribe. If you write a five-star review on Apple, we'll also read that on the show. So please drop us a five-star review, and we'll read it on the show. Five uh, questions, you can post them or ask them on Facebook and also Twitter at HardcorePSUFB. We have a couple questions. Let's start, Sean, with one from last week that we weren't able to get to. It came in after um, after we were already recorded, but I thought it was a good question, so let's go back to it. I want to say it came on Facebook, and I do not know – I don't have the name of who – um, sent it in, but I think it's a really good question. So the question is, quote, after three offensive coordinators during his quarterback run and injuries last year prior to which he looked like a quarterback number one and no run game to help, do you believe the criticism towards Clifford is accurate? End quote. Sean, I'll let you go first. Well, in certain aspects, yes. Of course, it's difficult to go from one coordinator to another to another but I mean look guys this happens all over college football different quarterbacks have different offensive coordinators all the time and the days of um, one coordinator staying at a place for years and years is pretty much over not saying it never happens but there's transition all the time and typically I don't like to make excuses uh for for different athletes uh but is it tough learning a new playbook sure um but i don't think it excuses everything that sean clifford hasn't done right um or hasn't been great with um but yeah could it play a role in you know having a learning curve with the playbook and typically it takes about four weeks before you really get the offense down maybe even think of 2016 uh when we first had jomo it it took a few weeks to really get the offense down pat um but yeah i mean it's i just think of it as kind of an excuse overall yeah we're gonna disagree at least a little bit and i think this question will be a lot easier to answer probably six weeks into the season this year i feel more optimistic or or more of like it's a it's a reason to say yeah it's probably fair to say it hasn't been fair to sean clifford because of what he was able to do um in the last nine games from 2020 to 2021 before he got injured in the Iowa game. And um, and he was looking good. Now, the only thing I'll say that if for people that really care about Penn State or for about football statistics in general, 
they love the argument for yards per attempt. And that's like one of the ways a lot of people like to rank quarterbacks. And are you really that good or is your yards per attempt just really low? When Sean Clifford was throwing the ball really well early last season, his yards per attempt still wasn't very high. Um, and so a lot of people are like, yeah, but basically it's a sign of, yeah, he's really not that good. It's it's a yards per attempt thing. Yards per attempt, I also think, um, doesn't include yards after catch. Um, so th- I think that improves the or, or obviously worsens the number for, for quarterbacks. And so I think that gives you a little bit better of an idea of, you know, is this quarterback just throwing screens all day or and, and how many incompletions? Um, all that stuff kind of goes into it. So Clifford wasn't having, although he was taking care of the football and he was doing what needed to be done in order to win games because they were undefeated, he wasn't having like a Heisman Trophy level season before he got hurt. That being said, Sean, and maybe again, this is just the optimistic side of me. I really think, and I'm not saying that you didn't think so, but I really think the second year in a system is really going to improve Sean Clifford's numbers and not just him. But everybody else, I think we've talked about this on the on the show a couple times already. But that part of it, I think, is going to help. The second part of it is, at least pre-snap, Sean, Clifford is really good. Like, if he can, if you don't disguise your defense and he knows pre-snap where he's going to go with the football, he's probably one of the best in the country. There's You can see when he throws the ball, when he knows where he's going to throw the ball pre-snap. Like, just has way more confidence. His footwork's better. Um it's when he doesn't know where to go or things don't look exactly right and he isn't sure pre-snap. That's when I think, or at least in the past, we, we haven't felt he's he's been that strong. Another year in that system and just another year of more football, you got to think pre-snap, Sean Clifford's probably one of the better quarterbacks in the country. I mean, not many people have played as much football and has been around a program as much as Sean Clifford has. Um, in fact, one of the guys we'll be talking about today, Tanner Morgan, is one of the few other guys that has played just as much as Sean Clifford. So um, from that aspect, I think he's going to be better. I think in six weeks we'll know a lot more whether or not it was fair to judge him for what people are judging him for. And I will finish with this. Right now, Sean Clifford is plus 8,000 to win the Heisman. And I'm not a huge betting person. But you drop $200 on that plus 8,000. You're looking at uh, $16,000 if he would win the Heisman for a $200 bet. Look, I've spent, Sean, I've spent $200 on a lot worse things um, than than that. I'm just saying, I, I think it's either going to be all or nothing for Sean Clifford, Sean, don't you think? I mean, I just feel like he's either going to get it and things are going to be really good or he's not going to get it and things are going to be what they have been. I. I just think it's it's going to be really fantastic, and he's going to be throwing the ball over the yard. He's going to have the command of this offense, and with a little bit of run support and a little bit more time in the pocket, things are going to be great, and he's going to be really good. And you're going to look and like, okay, this team might be able to win 10 games. Or it's going to be, oh, God, Sean Clifford's running for his life again. He doesn't have time to make good decisions. They don't have a running game. And it's just going to be, you know, Russian roulette, like, you know, flip a coin in the air. He could maybe lead us to a win this game, but he also might – cost us a game especially if he gets injured so that's where i'm at um i don't think i'm going to put a hundred dollars or two hundred dollars down on sean clifford to win the heisman but i think it's going to be all or nothing as far as what we expect from sean clifford this year yeah and i've also spent one hundred dollars or two hundred dollars on worse things but i've also spent one hundred dollars or two hundred dollars on better things than sean clifford's um 
odds to win the Heisman. Um, but yeah, a, a lot of a lot of this season uh, will go as far as the run game takes us, and Sean Clifford adjusting without Jahan Dotson. Um, it's important to note that Jahan Dotson was there last year, and losing him is going to hurt. But I think we both agree that the wide receiver depth is better this year than than it was last year. And I'm pretty optimistic that Parker Washington is going to be able to take that wide receiver one role. Um, yeah, I'm expecting Clifford. I, I think you're right about the pre-snap stuff, especially being a six-year senior like he is. Um, he's not much younger than Joe Burrow or... Or no, Joe Burrow's a bad example. He was old as a quarterback. Um, he's not... I, I think he's as old as Tua Tungabailoa. They were at the Elite 11 together. So he is an, he, he is an old head. And I think that that is going to help pre-snap. It's just, can he put it together? And can he stay consistent? Consistency's always been a thing with Sean Clifford. Um, he got off to a really good start in 2019. Then he dipped a little bit. And then... So it's kind of been a roller coaster. We all know what happened in 2020. He got off to a terrible start, ended the season pretty good. Um, 2021 started the season well, got hurt, um, didn't play so well. Probably was rushed back, at, but then by the Mich- played really well against Michigan State. Didn't play that well against Arkansas. So it's been a roller coaster with him. So just being consistent, I think consistency is the key with Cliff. And if he could be consistent from game one to game 13, 14, or 15, um, then, yeah, I think he could be a really big asset for us this year. Yeah, I think a lot of that consistency is going to be dictated by by the offensive line play and if he can stay healthy. Because, well, I'm not going to talk too much more about it because all I'm going to say is we have an episode next week. Uh, I interviewed Mitch Gerber who obviously was a former Penn State, um, I don't want to say podcast guy, but basically strategic uh, media man for, for Penn State for a couple of years. Uh, he's moved on to a new company called J1S, um, and he, he's doing branding and, and strategic branding for name, image, likeness deals. Uh, but he spoke a lot about Sean Clifford, and I'm excited for you guys to hear that next week. Um, so I'll just leave it there. But I think everybody could agree we don't really know if we got to see the best out of Sean Clifford because of what happened in that Iowa game. I mean, when Sean Clifford is confident, things things look pretty good. So I'll just leave it at that. Let's get to our another our question. Um, JGNBU59, I think he had a question a couple uh, weeks ago. He actually had two questions. We're only going to do one, JG, because we are already 35 minutes into the show. Um but I think this one question, we both agreed, Sean, and this is a pretty good question, I think worth talking about. Um, quote, in the near future, would recruiting quarterbacks out of the portal instead of high school become the preferred option for many top-tier programs? Get a guy with two years' experience in a Power 5 conference instead of a high school grad. End quote. Sean, I'm going to take this one first, and I'm going to say no. I don't think that's going to be the case. For a lot of different reasons, 
Um, but I will, because this is a Penn State football podcast, I'm going to talk specifically about what we've heard um, from Yursich about this. It's very, and I think Franklin's even said it himself. They like to be able to kind of groom their own quarterbacks and uh, basically have them in the system um, as long as they can in order to get them grown up with what you know their verbiage, their language. You know, their checks and whatever. So I don't think you're going to see a push like that. Now, I can see the benefit of that, but I think there's two issues with doing it that way. Um, number one is a guy coming in with only two years experience means he's only going to be there for a year, which if he's really good, that's great. But also, you're probably only going to have him for a year and you're going to have to do that every single year for my second point. But to finish off the first point, I'm going to say you have to nail that person, right? You have to do your research. You have to make sure you hit every single time on a person like that. If you recruit somebody, they don't work out and you need to go get someone from the transfer portal. That's one thing. You can do that every once in a while in a last ditch effort to save your program. But if you go every year, you don't have any sort of uh, stability or security. Now, the second point to that is if you're constantly going out and getting transfer portal quarterbacks, you cannot grow your own program. And this is something that Franklin's talked a lot about in a lot of different positions, but it's most, I guess, obvious in the quarterback one is kids don't want you to be searching for quarterbacks in the transfer portal. If I'm a quarterback that's been there for a year already, if I'm uh, Christian Veyu and Penn State would have went out, you know, even next year, if they go out and try to find a transfer quarterback, how do you think Bo Prabula, Drew Aller, Christian Veyu are going to feel about that moving forward. You then you get a guy for one year and then you, oh, hey, guys, you still cool playing now? Like, why would they stick around when you haven't shown the same loyalty? I think at different positions, it's not a big deal. But I think at quarterback, you got to be very careful about how you handle that. Obviously, you don't want people to leave either. Um, but for those two reasons and what we've already heard from Mike Yersich, uh, and, and James Franklin about how they like to groom their quarterbacks. I don't see Penn State going down that route anytime soon. Yeah, and I think people, and Josh Pate has touched on this before, I think people think of the transfer portal as this wonderful place where everything is just rainbows and butterflies and perfect and oh, we're going to take this guy and everything will be better because the portal exists. And that's not really the case. And it's like, here, I'm going to read through, according to 24-7 Sports, the top quarterbacks in the transfer portal. Now, I'll give you the top two. Top two guys are really good. Caleb Williams, Quinn Ewers. Well, Quinn Ewers hasn't done anything yet, but I think he's going to be a really good quarterback. Caleb Williams... Um, he's exceptional. But I would also point out if Lincoln Riley didn't leave Oklahoma, he wouldn't be at USC. Uh, Jackson Dart, um, guy, he's from USC. He looks promising. Spencer Rattler, I thought he was disappointing at Oklahoma. Cameron Ward, Dylan Gabriel, Max Johnson, Kelvin Slovis, Connor Basalak, uh, Levi Williams. Those are the top 10 guys. There are guys in that top 10 that I would take Sean Clifford over. Um, so it's not like it's this wonderful place where you'll always find quality. It has to make 
And another thing to remember about the portal, especially with the quarterback position, is these guys want to play. They're, if you think, I'm going to tell you right now, Penn State is probably not going to get a quarterback out of the transfer portal because of the way the quarterback situation sets up for us next year. So Sean Clifford's going to be gone, but we're going to have Drew Aller, who was the number one quarterback in the country out of high school last year. Christian Veyu, who uh, played really well for us last year when he came when he came in against Rutgers, uh, and Bo Pabula, who is another highly touted high school quarterback. Those three guys, and if you get a guy from the portal, if you especially one of these top guys from the portal for next year, whoever's going to be in the portal, they're going to be expecting to play immediately. And I don't think any of these. T- top quarterbacks would sign up to compete with Veyu, Aller, and Prabula. They would want a place where they might only be competing with one guy, if any. And a lot of them want promises to start. And James Franklin, I think, and I think this is good that Franklin does this, he's kind of known for not promising start, starting jobs to anybody. And you have to go out and you have to earn it. And I think most of the time, um, that's, that's true, especially for new guys that they never saw before. Um, so I think you'd be not, I, I, I think you would be, if you're, if, if your true intention is to play immediately, I don't think it makes much sense to play for Penn state, um, out, to go to Penn, Penn state out of the transfer portal. So to answer your question, no, I don't believe, um, it's ever going, I don't think just picking a quarterback out of the transfer portal uh, every year is ever going to replace recruiting a guy out of high school. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you there. Um, other positions a little bit different, but quarterback, I don't think so. Um, Sean, let's do it. Let's talk recruiting. Big, 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 big week. I feel like I've said that a couple times in the last month or so. Um, but big, big, big week in recruiting. Penn State lands three commits in just the Sunday through Monday. But technically, it was four commits if you include Elliot Washington, who we talked about in last episode. Uh, so the, the the ball is rolling in July. Penn State is is getting close to that twenty commit mark, and we're you know halfway through July, which is just kind of nuts. Um, obviously, things can change, things can get bad, things can get better. Long way away from December, but right now the twenty twenty three class is the number three number three class in the nation, according to twenty four seven Sports and I think Composite. So. Looking really, really good. Let's start with the one. We talked about him a decent amount on last episode because it was going to be a Monday commit. And um, we kind of knew that he was leaning Penn State's way. London Montgomery, your boy. You're going to probably hopefully get to see him play some this year. He's only, what, offered back in the spring and did not take him very long. He did do his due diligence and, and visited a couple other places but he was a um, – Penn State was his place where he wanted to go. It was his dream school. As soon as they offered, he was leaning this way. Uh, rivals for a long time had London Montgomery going to Penn State, and now it's official. London Montgomery, three-star some places, four-star some places, uh, running back out of Scranton going to the Nittany Lions. Yeah, Um Again, this was expected, uh, and we're 
I'm thrilled to have London as part of this recruiting class. He is a great high school football player. Um, tough to get a hand on, very fast. I think Penn State wanted to slow roll this a little bit, um, partly because the competition in the 5-7-0, I'm sad to say, isn't very good. And I think they wanted to see what happened during track season. And London did really well during track season. Uh, ran the 100 meter really well. I think he ran in a 10.85. Um, so I think as soon as they saw that speed, they wanted to make sure that was there. Then I think he was definitely somebody who Penn State was going to take if he wanted to come there. And again, great high school player. Tough to get a hand on. Very fast. Uh, I'd like to see him get a little bit bigger. He's 5'10", about a buck ninety. Um, so I'd expect him to put on, you know, a few pounds by the time he gets to Penn State. Um, and I'm excited about it. Uh, definitely a late riser. Uh, I didn't even hear all that much about him till his junior season. And then at during his junior season, there was just a lot of hype about, oh, this kid, London Montgomery, is really good. And you kind of thought maybe he'd be going to a small school. But then to see he kept playing well, had that great track season, and then he's getting offers from the Penn States, Michigan's, Michigan States of the world. So pretty cool to see, um, and pretty cool to see for a local kid. And I'll be definitely going to a game or two over at uh, Scranton Memorial Stadium where Prep plays their games this season. Yeah, uh, I like him. Um... Seventh best player out of the state of PA. I think as far as we knew, we knew Pennsylvania wasn't that deep this year, but it's still good to get these guys. Um, 25th, 27th best running back in the country, especially after um, the news with, with Trayon Webb going to Florida. This was a big like, okay, we're still going to be okay. Look, you have Nick Singleton. You're going to have Montgomery now. The running back room is, is as healthy as it could be. Uh, yeah, I mean, this was a no-brainer for everybody. It was a no-brainer for Penn State. It was a no-brainer for, for Montgomery. Um, and I think he has, you know, who knows right now, right? We said the same thing, I think, maybe in the spring when we were talking about all the different positions. It's up for whoever wants to step up at the running back room. It's theirs for the taking. So we might be having that same conversation next year. And so if we are, well, that sucks. But Montgomery could come in. And he could be playing next year because right now, until proven otherwise, nobody, nobody is guaranteed any sort of playing time. So uh, I think that is an exciting uh, prospect for a lot of these guys. If you're a top prospect in the nation and you have an opportunity to go somewhere and to compete for a starting job right away, especially with the way Jaywan Sider likes to run things and have a lot of guys get in there and at least have a chance to prove themselves – why Why not London Montgomery next year? Because right now you can't tell me he's any worse or better than anyone else that we have currently on the roster. So I'm excited for him. I'm excited for you to get a chance to go see him play. Um, and I think this is a good all around. I hate to use the word safe commitment because this guy's a really good player, but it was kind of a safe commitment from both sides of things. Um, he, he's like one of the guys like you're not really going to be worried about decommitting later on. Like he's, he's going to be going to Penn State. Uh, let's move on. Thursday and Friday were just nuts and really good for Penn State. On Thursday, Tony Rojas committed to Penn State. 
Tony Rojas, linebacker from Virginia, second best. I want to say second best player from the state of Virginia. Obviously, Penn State has the first best player from the state of Virginia in five-star offensive lineman Alec, Alex Berkmeyer. They're doing really well in Virginia. Missed out on Cam Selden, but this is a happy podcast today, so we're not going to talk about that. Uh, Rojas, arguably one of the fastest linebackers in this class from, from the numbers we've seen. He's a top 10 linebacker in the class, and I should say he is a third best player. So I guess Selden was number two. Um, but he's 120th-ish or lower uh, nationally ranked, according to all the different places. Was down to Georgia and Clemson. And for a little bit there, Sean, I was a little worried about Georgia. I think a lot of people were worried about Georgia. He, he went there, uh, I think, one time. He was going to go another time, but then didn't end up going, I believe. Um, at the end of the day, though, when I found out that Georgia was going to take him if he wanted to come, that had me a little bit worried because for a second there, I was like, oh, well, Georgia, I mean, they just picked up one of the best linebackers yesterday um, in the class. He actually might be the number one linebacker in the class. I can't tell you his name off the top of my head. Um, so they're going to be OK. But when I found out that they were going to take Rojas no matter what, knowing that they were probably going to get a couple other top five linebackers, I was like, dang, Rojas is the real deal. If they're going to take an extra linebacker, I think they have three right now in the class. So they would have, they would have had four linebackers if Rojas would have chosen Georgia and they were going to be okay with that because they know how Rojas, how good Rojas can be. That right there tells me that this guy is for real. This guy is going to be, a lot of people are saying he's going to be the next best linebacker at Penn state. He's got that sort of caliber to him. Uh, obviously you get a guy over Clemson and Georgia um, technically from the South, you know, but Penn state's done a really good job in Virginia. Um, this is a big time commit. This is, you want to talk about guys that Penn State kind of had to get. This is one of those guys that they kind of had to get. And for a little bit there in the spring, it wasn't looking great. You can go back and listen to the episodes. You and I were both kind of like, Meh, I don't really know, but they got him. And, and same with the next person we'll talk about. But this was one of the bigger pieces to the 2023 class, Sean. Yeah, Rojas, again, he's an outstanding football player uh, also was a great uh, high school running back. And I really like that. Um, I remind, I'll remind um, our listeners that Micah Parsons was a great high school running back. LeVar Arrington was a great high school running back. Not saying Tony Rojas is going to be those guys, but it shows the versatility and he's just productive. Anytime he's on the field. Uh, he, he's really good coming off the edge. Um, just he's like he's he's very quick i love his instincts just watching highlights of him um i think he ran a 4 six forty, so that's good for a high school linebacker and i think he's going to um i think he's going to get faster when he gets to penn state um and like i said i just love his instincts love his speed and his recruitment um and i think i texted you this quarter. i don't know if i said it on the pod it might be a little bit of the Nye Dennis Sons recruit, uh, what happened with him. And that's that Penn State was always seen as the leader, but then the big schools came, Georgia and Clemson and Tony Rojas' case and the Nye Dennis Sons' case, it was Georgia and Alabama. And Penn State fought them off. And it was tough. It was, um, but with about two weeks left to go, I felt pretty good that he was coming to Penn State because he didn't take that official visit to Georgia. And 
that's pretty much a sign that if typically if a guy doesn't take his official visit to a place, he's not going to that place. Um, And it's a big get for Penn State and Manny Diaz. And I really, really like the way Tony Rojas fits in a a Manny Diaz style defense with that speed off the edge and with, um, and with his hard hitting ability. Right, right, right. Yeah, Rojas pound for pound. He's going to be a stud. Um, And who knows? Because we have a lot of young linebackers coming in from the 2022 class. And so from a depth perspective, right now we're super thin, but the reinforcements are on their way. And that makes you feel pretty good about the future. Uh, Let's get to the Friday commit. And, Sean, this one, as far as the ones I didn't really know much about I feel like nobody knew a lot about until after the fact, and this is a free article on 24-7 Sports, but technically four-star edge player Tamir Robinson. I say technically because Tamir Robinson from Pittsburgh, um, this dude, one play will be rushing the passer. The next play, he'll be playing safety. So he can do everything. Originally, going back to last year, he was looking more like a safety prospect and he just kept growing and growing. And now he's going to play closer to the ball. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how Penn state decides to use him. He could play edge. He could play outside linebacker. Uh, he could do a lot of different things, but this guy Tamir Robinson was someone that Penn state had to get obviously from the state of Pennsylvania. Um, and for a little bit now from that article, come to find out Miami had this guy in the back. He went down, visited Miami in early June, and it was like, I'm going to probably end up going to Miami. I'm a Miami lean. He took the visit a couple weeks later to Penn State, and Penn State was able to completely change his mind and and basically flip him back to Penn State. Uh, I don't know, Sean, to me, honestly, it makes it seem like there's a little bit of a name, image, and likeness thing there because I I feel like that was maybe one of the things holding him back, and we know Miami's doing a good job with that kind of stuff. I don't know specifically, though, so that's, that's all speculative. But I, I just I don't know what it was, but n- knowing that now I'm like holy crap! This staff did a remarkable job being able to get Robinson to, to stay home and and go to Penn State. This was a big, big win for Penn State, and it was so big. Sean or not Sean Clifford, uh, James Franklin even tweeted afterwards, and I think that was more of like wow, we just kicked ass this week. Um, but he said I'm so proud of the staff. I'm so proud of you know how hard we've been working. And it was a big kind of like, you know, metal pat yourself on the back kind of moment for him. I mean, to, to be able to flip a guy, Miami, for people that don't know, is recruiting extremely well right now. Mario Cristobal is doing a fantastic job in the recruiting world uh, down there in South Florida. So to get a guy when all the momentum is definitely in Miami's favor, that that's big time, Sean. And I didn't know any of that. So that just that's just one more like, wow, I'm really glad it worked out in our favor. Yeah, Mario Cristobal is an outstanding fit at Miami, and I think he's going to do some great things there. Uh, but yeah, getting back to to us, um, James Franklin usually doesn't tweet um, stuff like that out after winning a recruiting battle. So I, I think, like you said, it was a big just a a big uh, sigh of relief and sense of victory in that in uh, the Lash Building. Um, and I can understand it because it was tough getting Tamir Robinson there. Um, and like you said, he was, according to Brian Doney, was a, he was a Miami lean. 
And it was big to keep somebody like Tamir Robinson home in PA. And I love this kid's film. Um, I, he's, again, another guy who's very quick off the edge. And then he could drop in, he could drop into coverage. I wonder where he'll play in when he gets to Penn State, if they'll put him at defensive end, if they'll put him at linebacker. I'm really not sure where, where he'll end up because he has so much versatility. And as we've talked about on this pod, versatility is the name of the game in this uh, defensive recruiting class. Pretty much almost every guy could play multiple positions. And I love that. It gives you so many options to work with uh, for uh, Manny Diaz or for whoever the defensive coordinator is in the next few years. So I love that about, about Tamir Robinson and this class as a whole. And I'm very excited for him to get to campus. Um, I noticed Manny Diaz tweeted out uh, TNT. I think that's kind of what they're going with, with uh, Tony Rojas and Tamir Robinson. Um, so I'm excited about it. It was a great week. It was, and it was a great week to be a Penn State football fan, especially if you're into recruiting. Yeah, yeah. And I think you have to be at least a little bit. I'm definitely... If you listen to my tone from probably five months ago on this show compared to where it is now, I'm definitely more involved in the recruiting. I'm still skeptical, skeptical about, you know, how we go about doing this because I, I don't like focusing so much. But that's just the nature of the beast right now and uh, especially in the summer. And if uh, Josh Pate put a great way, if you're not paying attention to recruiting in June and July, um, you're doing it wrong now. It's no longer, you know. 10 years ago, like what January used to be before signing day in February, June and July is the time for recruiting. Cause yeah, some people might decommit, but a lot of them won't. And a lot of them want to be completely done before they start their fall and final season uh, with their high school teammates. So this is, this is big and Penn State sitting at number three, not going to finish at number three, but we were talking about them maybe not even being a top 10 class, most likely closer to the top 15 class. Um, now it's looking like, yeah, they're going to probably be a top 10 class, which back-to-back top 10 classes for James Franklin, you're starting to get on a stretch where this might be the best recruiting stretch um, in his tenure. And no surprise, after COVID's gone, and he can finally get kids back on campus. So things are looking really good there, Sean. I just want to recap everybody. A couple of weeks ago, uh, the episode of the last week of June, I put the over-under at five and a half commits for Penn State from that point on to the end of July, uh, not including decommits, because we said commits, not total commits, total. Um, so we're not counting against Stokes. But things are looking really good. So we've had King Mac. We've had Montgomery. We've had Rojas. We've had Robinson. And we've had Elliott. Oh, no, I, I just said that, didn't I? Oh, no, yeah, that was right. Mac? I don't think, yeah, I think you're good. Yeah, Mac, Robinson, Rojas. So many R's. Um, um, Mac Robinson, Washington. Rojas, Montgomery, and Elliot Washington. So that's five right there. Um, with potential, Sean. So we're at five. I said 5.5. 5, um, with potential for maybe a Evan Link here towards the end of the month would get us to six. Uh, obviously, yeah. I was hoping Webb would, would have gotten us to six. Um, so I'm a little bit behind, or maybe a Cam Selden, or maybe even a, a, a Jason Moore. But 
So those those then help the situation. But still, with the Elliott Washington commit, still have a chance to get to six here before the end of July. Things are looking pretty good for Penn State. Yeah, don't forget about Carmelo Taylor. I believe he decides at the end of the month. So it's very possible we could get to seven. Right, right, right. I mentioned Taylor last time. I'm glad you brought him up again. I got to. I haven't honestly, if we're going to be truthful here, I haven't done a lot of research into him. Probably need to be looking a little bit more into him in the next coming weeks. But yeah, Penn State's looking really good right now. Um, yeah, Taylor and Link are probably the next guys. If you're looking for, okay, who do we pay attention to next? Those are probably the two guys that um, Penn State's probably looking like. Evan Link from D.C., just inside the top 300 nationally, uh, can play offensive tackle. Um, yeah, that would be a big time commit. I don't think there's anyone else we really need to talk about. Um, but that, I mean, Penn State's doing really well right now. Um, Sean, any final thoughts on recruiting right now? Oh, I was just going to say, you mentioned you know, all of the versatility that a lot of these guys have in a 2023 class. And I've told you a lot about how I think this could be one of the best defensive classes James Franklin's ever had. Um, can you imagine what Manny Diaz is feeling right now with all the versatility? You talk about um, Nelson and Robinson and Rojas and um, King Mac. It's like they could they could line up all over the place. I mean, there's a lot of excitement if you're if you're Manny Diaz right now. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. Um, and like I said, even if Manny Diaz were to get a head coaching job after this year, or after next year, whoever the next defensive coordinator is, they're going to be really, really well set up for some, you know, exotic looks on defense and being able to line guys up at different positions and almost playing uh, a, a version of positionless football on defense because you're going to be able to set guys up at different spots and move them around and have different blitzers come from different spots. So, and different guys dropping in the coverage. So yeah, whoever the, you, you, so Manny Diaz definitely has to be looking, looking his chops, looking at what we're bringing in on defense. Yep, 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 no doubt about it. Well, Sean, let's talk Minnesota preview. Um, again, guys, if you haven't checked out, which I know you guys have because we've got like 50 subscriptions on YouTube um, in the first like 30 days of us putting these out. So we appreciate you guys going over to YouTube and subscribing to the channel. Um, previews are up from Purdue all the way through Michigan now. So six minute on average quick video talking about um Penn State's opponents know your enemies what the name of the series is we've talked about every team on here through Michigan and obviously in more depth on the podcast but a six minute if you're just you know sitting on the toilet or whatever the case may be um waiting for your kid to, to come out at the end of the day from school and you're sitting in the car line a uh, quick video to kind of get you up to speed of what to expect um, from some of Penn State's opponents we will try to get um Minnesota and Ohio State out in the next week or so. I will be kind of on vacation, so they're going to slow down a little bit for the next two weeks. Um, but definitely please check those out if you haven't already. But Minnesota, you betcha. We're going to talk about them now. Minnesota is an interesting team, Sean, because I could have swore that P.J. Fleck was recruiting better than he was. But come to find out, if you take the average four years of the last four classes' composite rankings – they come out to 
which I thought it was just really high for them. But also what surprised me is Purdue's at 42. So if you would have told me Purdue's technically recruiting a little bit better than Minnesota, I actually don't think I would have believed you. Um, but that is the case right now. P.J. Fleck, last year, they, they, they won nine games last year. I don't think people realize that. Their defense, Sean, top 10 in points, um, points per game and top 10 in total yards. Nobody talked about their defense because everybody was talking about the Iowa Hawkeyes defense and how they were lucky enough to have a bunch of interceptions that were tipped to balls half the time. But nobody was talking about Minnesota's defense. Also, Iowa beat Minnesota, so they lose a little bit of credibility there. But they were really good. The offense, on the other hand, not very good. Scored very little amount of points against Illinois. Scored very little amount of points against Bowling Green, who, by the way, Bowling Green's not a good team from the MAC. Um, just up and down. Talk about inconsistency. It was inconsistency. They bring back offensive coordinator Kirk Sharaka. Penn State fans, you probably know who that is, um, although he wasn't here long enough to probably even pay off any sort of his mortgage on a house. Um, already gone back to Minnesota. He was the offensive coordinator there when Tanner Morgan and company tore up Brent Pry. Probably, if you had to argue, maybe Brent Pry's worst defensive performance from a schematical perspective. I mean, Penn State just looked awful on defense that day. Um but he's back. Tanner Morgan's back. My One of my favorite running backs in the Big Ten. Um, just a guy I like watching in Mo Ibrahim. He was tearing up the Ohio State defense before he ripped his Achilles in that opening game. Um, and the season kind of went to a different level for, for in a bad way for Minnesota after that. Um, but he's back. They have a, a, a offensive lineman who's a six-year senior back. Otherwise, their offensive line... It's very, very new. Um, a lot of new faces. A couple transfers coming in to, to also fill some holes there. Um, on the outside, Sean, they got Ottman Bell back for another year, too. He's another six-year guy. They have four guys that are in that super senior category um, to pay attention to. Those are my first original thoughts, Sean. What are your thoughts? Uh, yeah, a lot. I agree with a lot of what you said. Um like you said, they get Kirk Sharaka back. We know what he did with Tanner Morgan. Um, Tanner Morgan struggled last year, though. Uh, wasn't a great wasn't a great season for him. Um, Minnesota last year, uh, according to Athlon Sports, they ranked 118th in passing yards per game, and were ahead of only the service academies in attempts. So they were very much a ground and pound team last year, and they didn't let Tanner, Mer Tanner Morgan cook at all. Um, they lose a lot from that great offensive line that they seem to have for um, the past like 10 years. Um, a lot of, there's a lot of senior leadership on that offensive line and they lose, uh, they lose four of their starters, but they do get an all, an all big 10 center, John Michael Schmitz back. Um, and it's going to be interesting to see what, Mo what, Mo what Mohammed Ibrahim uh, we'll be able to give them because I agree with you last year. Uh, if, if you remember the, uh, Minnesota played Ohio state on Thursday night, it was a lot like what Penn state's going to be doing against Purdue. They were the first game of the big 10 and Minnesota put up 31 points and they were winning at halftime. And a lot of that was because Mo Ibrahim was having a big night. Um, so you have to wonder, maybe their offense is a little bit better last year if Mo Ibrahim stays healthy, and I, I think they definitely would have been 
better last year if Ibrahim were to stay healthy. Uh, they had a weird season last year um, in that, yes, they put up 31 points against Ohio State, uh, but then they lose 14-6 against Illinois. Um, that's strange. <laughs> um, you know, they win their bowl game. Um, they beat Colorado 30 to nothing. Uh, again, they, they, they were one of the many teams to beat Nebraska by a score. So they had a strange season. Like you said, they had a top 10 defense, um, in which they get seven of their 11 starters back. So this is going to be a challenge for Penn state. Um, kind of happy, even though I, I, I wish Ohio state was the whiteout. We've talked about that at nauseum. Um, having a whiteout against Minnesota probably gives Penn State a boost. It's going to be a night game, and I expect Penn State to walk out with a win. Yeah, yeah. I think Minnesota, if they can put it all together, has a chance to win the Big Ten West, and the Big Ten West is really wide open. I mean, you could argue Purdue has a chance. You could argue Iowa has a chance. You could argue Wisconsin has a chance. You could argue Nebraska, if they figure it out, has a chance. Um, But the thing with Minnesota is – they're not going to be able to throw the ball like they were able to in 2019. Um, just they don't have the same weapons on the outside they had that year. I mean, those guys were studs. And so they're still going to have to rely on the running game and, and go from there. And Penn State wasn't good at stopping the run last year. Uh, obviously, they did pretty well overall against Wisconsin. But go to that Illinois game. Go to the um, Ohio State game at some points. Even the Auburn game at some points wasn't very good. So I, I think that's going to be the test. Can they run the ball well enough to beat Penn State at Penn State? I don't really know. And um, and defensively, I think they're going to be okay. I think they're going to be really good defensively. Uh, they they got to figure out – they lost six of their eight defensive linemen um, from last year. So they have a lot of – a lot of guys got to have to step up in that defensive line spot. They also lose – um, they're starting middle linebacker, so that's that's not you know easy to replace either. Um, but their defensive backs, I think, are pretty solid, and they're going to have um, some guys there um, that could do some things. Safeties are looking okay. The cornerback position is a spot they brought in two transfers, one guy from Western Kentucky and one guy from Abilene Christian. So they're going to have to do a little bit work there um, as far as shoring up those corners because I could imagine – Penn State would feel pretty good as far as their receivers versus Minnesota's corners. Um, but obviously, at that point in the season, Sean, we don't even know where, you know, we don't even know what Sean Clifford's going to be. We'll know a lot more before this game obviously starts. But I, I don't know. I think Minnesota, and you could say this a lot, of, a lot of Big Ten West teams, right? But I just don't know. If they put it all together and they're consistent, they could be really good. And who knows, maybe Tanner Morgan with Kirk Sharaka back is going to feel more comfortable and is going to have a better season. But also, like, if you go and watch those 2019, like, there was a lot of plays where uh, Tanner Morgan was just letting his receivers, Bateman and Johnson, just make plays for him. Um, I don't know if he has those exact weapons on the outside that he had that year. So I think Tanner Morgan does better than last year, but it's hard to imagine that he does well enough to come into Happy Valley and beat Penn State. This game's at Minnesota. If we had to go at Michigan, then at Minnesota, that that would be very scary. I think getting them, again, at home, whiteout environment, I think that that helps a lot. Um, 
I do want to say, and this is from College Football News, Minnesota, I want to say this is going back to 2019. They are 17-2, Sean, when they complete 60% of their passes, which is just nuts to me. Like 60% is nothing crazy, and they're 17-2 and two when they're able to do that. So um, that's nuts. I also think it's at a good – this game's at a good spot for Minnesota. They have at Illinois beforehand, which I know they lost, but it's hard to imagine they lose to Illinois two years in a row. And then they play Rutgers at home. So, you know, there's no real worry about looking ahead or anything like that. Like this game is in a good spot for them. And um, – and it's hard to go back-to-back weeks on the road in the Big Ten. But if you have to do it and have Illinois beforehand, that, that makes things a little bit better. But, yeah, I, I think the offense is going to have to run the ball. They lose a couple of their backup running backs that played a lot last year um, to the transfer portal, which I think kind of stings for them because they were some really good guys. Um, but they're going to have to run the rock. And everything will kind of go based from there. I mean, that's what Kirk Scirocco wanted to do at Penn State. I mean, he was running the ball, trying to get the running game going so he could open up the pass didn't really work out the same way. Um, and I think Franklin and, and Chiraca didn't have the same mindset to a certain extent. But defensively, I think they're still going to be pretty good. I don't know if they're going to be as good as they were last year. I don't know if they're going to be top 10. But I, if they can figure out the, the defensive line spot, I think they could be really good. If they can't figure out the defensive line spot, you know, maybe if they don't get enough pressure on the quarterback, maybe it's a little bit of a different story this year for the defense. Um, but but that's what I'm kind of thinking. I, I don't know. I wouldn't take them to win the Big Ten West right now, Sean. Um, but I also don't know who I would take in the Big Ten West right now. So those are my thoughts on Minnesota. Yeah. Um, I think they have too many question marks to take them to win the Big Ten. Um, also, Rashad Bateman sat out in 2020 and obviously uh, Tanner Morgan didn't have him last year with the Baltimore Ravens. So maybe Tanner Morgan was really carried by, um, I believe, was it Tyler Johnson? I think that was his name. I might be wrong. Yep. That. Um, yeah, okay. that's right. And Rashad Bateman, maybe he was pretty much carried by them. And that possibility is definitely there because the last two seasons have been pedestrian uh for tanner morgan i'm kind of and i'm being a little kind um also tanner morgan side note he looks like he's about 50 years old so that's fun and he is one of the oldest quarterbacks in the big 10 i think he's 24 or 25 like like sean clifford is so that's just kind of an aside um (laughs) but yeah they're going to be they're going to be a challenge um and while I'm expecting Penn State to walk out victoriously um, with their ability to run the ball, uh, like you said, Kirk Sharaka, sort of his bread and butter is running is running the football, and then they sort of go off of that. Um, yeah, I'm expecting a challenge. Um, I think you bring up a good point about their defensive line. It's hard to replenish at the defensive line. Um, especially when your team like Minnesota, who, like you said, doesn't recruit the best. They're more of a development team, sort of in the same vein as Wisconsin, where they don't rely on a ton of talent necessarily, but they have a culture that they built, row the boat, and they kind of rely on that um, just player development, and they trust in what they do in player development. So 
And look, there are more than there's more than one way to skin a cat, and it's worked for Wisconsin for since the Barry Alvarez days. So it's going to be interesting to see how they um, how they reload there. Uh, but yeah, this is a good team, and I think they could challenge for the Big Ten West. But I also wouldn't take them to win the Big Ten West. Right, just too many question marks. I did want to mention they bring in a, Clem- a Clemson transfer in Darnell Jeffries. Uh, he's a guy that I think they're going to need to step up. And another defensive lineman, Thomas Rush, is one of the few guys they have back too that are going to have to to do something. So um, again, defensive lines kind of a question mark. Front seven in general. I mean, they bring back Mariano Sorry Martin Marine. Sorry, um, but otherwise, uh, I don't know. Braylon Oliver might be might be a guy that has to play a lot. Just a lot of question marks, right? And if you have question marks in your front seven and you have to face Iowa and you have to face even Penn State and you have to face Wisconsin, that's not good, right? It's a long season in the Big Ten West as far as front sevens go. You have to have a lot of depth there because if Iowa or Wisconsin senses that they can run the rock on you, they will do nothing but run the rock on you. Um, and I don't really know if Minnesota's equipped to win those kind of games. Um, and I don't know if they're equipped to come back from games, right? I mean, it's not like on offense, really, what is their identity going to be, Sean? Like you look at a team like Wisconsin, you know what they're going to do on offense. You look at a team like Iowa, you know what they're going to do on offense. We were just talking about Michigan last week. We think they're going to throw the ball a lot more this year um, because of some of the playmakers they have back. We we know what Ohio State's going to do. Uh, we think we know what Penn State's going to maybe do. I have no idea what Minnesota is going to do. You think they want to be, you know, what, what Kirk Scirocco would want to do is run the ball and work play action out of it. That's what we think um, the, a lot of teams are going to try to do it. Like Northwestern, we talked about how they're going to run a lot of play action and kind of get the ball out after that. That's probably what Minnesota is going to try to do. I just don't know. I know Mo Ibrahim can do it, but I just don't know if their offensive line is going to be as good as it's supposed to be. I mean, you lose a lot from their offense line. And if you can't do that, Sean, I don't really know how they're going to move the football consistently any more than they did last year. So I, I don't know. And obviously I'm a little biased because we saw what Kirk Scirocco did here and we weren't crazy impressed by it. And so, yeah, I, I don't know. The offense scares me a little bit. And, and again, you can make the same argument for Penn state. Hey, Tanner Morgan's been there for a long time. If anyone can figure it out, it's a guy who's been there for a long time, just like Sean Clifford. So um, there's an optimistic side of things if you're Minnesota. I don't know if you can be that optimistic as far as not really having an identity going into a game like Penn State. So um, they do play, I want to say they play at Michigan State like early in the season, third game of the year, something like that. that's going to be a pretty big eye opener, right? If they can win that game, then like, okay, yeah, this this team's going to have it figured out. But if they if they don't win that game, it's like, okay, they're they're probably going to be the middle of a pack, Minnesota. So, um, the athletes, I, I want to go back to the ranking, the twenty four seven sports ranking here as we kind of start wrapping this up. But that scares me a little bit too, right? Like I thought they were getting, I know it's Minnesota and they never have recruited extremely well, but I thought Fleck was bringing in. A little bit better class. I thought maybe he would his average would have been at least in the 30s. Uh, I know he wasn't bringing in the you know, top 25 classes all the time, but I thought it would be a little bit closer to the 30s than than in the 40s. So that tells me too, Sean. I mean, this is a game Penn State need. Like James Franklin, we're talking on whether or not he's on the hot seat or whatever the case may be. This is a game he has to win. 
especially after losing to Illinois last year. He has to win this game, especially because it's sandwiched between Michigan and Ohio State. There, there are no other choices. If you lose at Michigan especially, you have to win this game against Minnesota because then you have the Buckeyes coming to the town afterwards. Like There is no other choice for this Penn State team. And so out of just bare necessity, I, I think they have to win this game, and they will win this game. It's important to win this game for James Franklin. It's important for me because I'm going to be in a wedding that day. And it's for both of our one of both two of our mutual friends getting married. And I don't want to damper on the wedding. So they really need to win. Um, But in all reality, yes, I think getting an offensive identity is very crucial for Minnesota. And I think a lot of it could depend on Mo and Mo Ibrahim's health. Uh, torn Achilles, they're tough to come back from, um, especially playing a position like running back. So could he have the same explosion that he had? And he was a he was a very good power back, but he also had he also had a lot of juice um, and explosiveness. And like you said, trying to replace a lot of those guys on the offensive line, and I know at least one or two of them, they're going to be playing on Sundays now. So getting that, getting that back, um, getting a, a sense of identity from the run game, play action fake, maybe Kirk Sharaka brings in the, um, maybe Minnesota has a bruising backup quarterback that Kirk Sharaka could run quarterback draws 10 times a game with, something we know a little bit about with Kirk Sharaka. Um, but being able to get an identity on offense, I think, is going to be crucial. Uh, like you mentioned, I think uh, it's the fourth game of the season. They play Michigan State. Um, they have that stretch, Colorado, Michigan State, Purdue. Their season could really be dictated by those three games. If they could go 3-0 and in that stretch, then, yeah, this is going to be a really – this is going to be a high-ranked Minnesota team coming into Happy Valley because I expect them to beat Illinois. So there's there's a world that exists where Minnesota could be undefeated coming into this game against Penn State. I think they'll have at least one loss. I don't think they'll beat Michigan State. Um, but this could be that this is going to be a nice challenge. And um, I agree with you. I think the schedule sets up pretty nicely for uh, their meeting with Penn State in mid-October. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that's plenty on the Gophers for now. Obviously, they're a little bit far further away. I think as we get further and further away, it's harder to talk about these teams because we will know a lot more when we get closer. We might have to double up when we come back. Um, so just to kind of again give you guys an idea, if you've been listening, I sat down with Mitch Gerber uh, on Wednesday, Wednesday night, and so that will be the episode that you guys hear next week. It will not be obviously anything live. Um, that it's already been recorded and edited and everything like that. So that there won't be any new news as far as commitments go and anything like that. We'll be uh, we'll be on vacation. So, um, but that being said, that interview, guys. If you haven't listened to anything that we have put out for some reason, and this is like your first episode, next week's episode, I have interviewed a lot of different people now in my short podcasting career. I've had chance to interview Audrey Snyder from The Athletic and uh, Joe Hermit from Penn Live and Matt Brown and all the stuff he does with trying to figure out name, image, and likeness stuff. And I've interviewed 
Uh, Charles Huff, head football coach at Marshall, and I've interviewed um, Brad Keane and P.J. Mullen. This interview with Mitch Gerber is one of the better interviews I think I've ever been a part of. This is, first of all, he's in the brand and name, image, and likeness stuff now. He actually works with USC a lot, so we got to talk conference alignment a little bit too, which I think was just perfect. Um, but he explains some of the brand stuff and how some of these players, you know, are trying to do things. And he explains some of the collective stuff, like success with honor, um, and, and how those things work and how what his company is a little bit different than that. Uh, he talks a lot about what he wants to do with his new company when he gets to start it. Uh, and, and talks about, he wants to build a brand for players. He wants to help build brands for coaches, which I think is really cool and something that's not talked about enough. Um, and of course he talks about his time at Penn state and, you know, he got to interview all of the coaches. He got to interview all of the players. He had podcasts. He had, you know, post game shows with Matt McGloin. Like he did all sorts of stuff when he was at Penn state and he met a lot of awesome people and he has a lot of great stories. He has a lot of good anecdotes about James Franklin that I think are worthy of hearing. There's a lot of stuff about Sean Clifford and Sean Clifford's name, image, likeness, uh, business, a lot of meaty things in this interview. I want to say it's a buck 30. So it's going to be a nice long episode for you guys to hold, hold you over. This is a long episode to hold you guys over. Um, but no, I, when I was finished recording, I immediately texted you, Sean. I was like, dude, that, I mean, it was awesome. So, uh, I don't typically go crazy about it, but I was salivating when it was done. I was like, there was some really good stuff that he talks about. Um, and I'm excited for you guys to, uh, to check that out and listen to that next week. We will be back what i guess technically is that august 1st or to be maybe july 30th let me see i guess it would be july 31st we'll be back recording um live editions and hopefully sean we get over that uh 5.5 over under for commits and we have more commits to talk about on on july 31st penn state starts camp august 1st sean so by the time we talk next we will be I guess starting to preview Penn State football for 2022, which just is nuts to me. I'm ready. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I'm very excited to hear your interview with Mitch Gerber, too. Um, I was excited when you told me that you got him on the pod. And then, like you said, you um, you texted me privately about, wow, this this went really, really well. And all the stuff you guys got into. So I myself am very excited to hear it. Um, yeah. And just side note with recruiting. I just want to, I just want to throw something in really quick at the end of the show. Um, very uh, supposedly JJ Cole, who's the Iowa state commit, um, the quarterback commit, supposedly he is sticking with Iowa state at least for now. So I would look for possibly an offer to go out to Jackson Smolik, possibly, but I'm not positive about that. Just want to throw that in. Yeah, yeah, we we talked a little bit about that. It looks like that's the quarterback situation for now. Um, I do want to note, too, Ohio State and LSU don't have quarterbacks yet for the 2023 class either. So there's some competition out there still, uh, and there's not a lot of quarterbacks that aren't committed. So I, I don't. Penn State might have to get a little bit creative. I don't think it's the end of the world if they don't get a quarterback. But they definitely, you know, this they like to get a quarterback every cycle. So we'll have to pay attention to that. Um, guys, thank you so much for listening. I just wanted to say also, last week's episode blew the doors 
off of any other episode as far as listeners go. Um, just, just phenomenal. So thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you for sharing it with a friend. If you haven't, please share this with one Penn State football fan. Uh, if you haven't subscribed to wherever you listen, whether it's on Apple, whether it's on Spotify, whether it's on another podcast directory, please do so. Um, that helps us out. And again, we will read five-star reviews on the show, your personal five-star review on the show uh, on Apple Podcasts if you drop a review there. So please consider doing that. That all helps us tremendously. And if you made it this far in the show, you are crazy about Penn State football as much as we are. You just listened um, to an hour-and-a-half episode in the middle of July. Um, yeah, you're crazy too, dude or woman, and we're happy to have you here. So uh, anything and everything you guys have done in the last month or so has been crazy. The numbers are way up right now, and that's all because of you guys. So thank you so much, and thank you, Sean Kane. We were set out on this um, journey around February, January or so, and we have stuck to a pretty good schedule, and a lot of that's due to you. So thank you, Sean, for being awesome. I'm excited. We're going to be talking Penn State football with live practice updates Um pretty much when we get back in two weeks yeah it's been so so much fun Corey. it's been so much fun uh putting content out with you and it's been great uh hearing feedback from all of you um and i'm very excited for camp to start and really when camp starts it feels like season i mean it feels like the season just is right there uh, um I always like watching on Big Ten Network. They have the preview every year. I actually think it's pretty good, especially for something like Big Ten Network, um, where um, it's not like, quote unquote, insiders inside Penn State. It's that you get sort of an outside perspective. Um, so that's usually around mid-August. So that always gets me excited. We'll be here to try to keep you guys excited for the upcoming season. Yep. Uh, and, and also, if uh, you probably no one's going to probably listen to, uh, right away to this because I am going to post this right away. Um, but I think today is Penn State Day, so they're showing Penn State stuff all day on the Big Ten Network. So July 17th. So I'm pretty sure that's today. So they are um, they're pushing out Penn State stuff right now. If you want to go listen to some of that, but yeah, no, I'm ex- I always like that show when they go to every single uh, every single camp. So that will be good. And I don't think we have to get you guys excited. I think you guys are already excited. I mean, clearly by the numbers being up in the last month and a half, you guys are excited um, and we're excited. So, Sean, any final thoughts before we wrap this one up? No, no. Just, uh, again, thank you all for listening. I really, really appreciate it, guys. Yep. Thank you all. Um, And we will talk to you guys in two weeks. Again, enjoy the interview next week with Mitch Gerber. It's a really good one. So um, enjoy that. We'll catch you guys in two weeks. Bye, everybody. Thank you.